Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and it's my privilege to talk about Jesus and the hope and the peace we have in Him. Uh, please enjoy the following message, and if you like, uh, support the mission of God here in this area by going to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org. So do not fear. I'll provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Forgiveness. It is maybe the central gift, blessing we see in the whole Bible. It's such a heavy theme, forgiving. God forgiving us, us forgiving others, begins in the garden, concludes in our own lives. But it's so hard to do. Story about Corey Ten Boom. She was a, uh, a Dutch uh, woman, Dutch family in the war, during World War II, and um, she... Uh, her and her family uh, risked their lives protecting people that uh, were going to be put into the concentration camp, namely Jewish people. And they did this for a little while, and finally they got caught, and their family was put into this concentration camp. She watched the Nazi guards treat everyone poorly, but especially her own family and watched her sister dwindle in starvation and die. Terrible, right? Um, you know, when, when we really freaked out about really bad things in the world. And uh, World War II ends, America saves Europe again <laughs> from themselves. She goes back to Germany. Just like St. Patrick did, who was kidnapped by the Irish and went back to the Irish, back to his captors to tell them about Jesus. Corey Ten Boom, empowered by the Holy Spirit, went back to Germany to teach and talk about and do her own forgiving, which is crazy, right? And as she was struggling with the ability to forgive, she was in a church, I think, and just kind of praying and prayed to God, Lord, help me to actually really forgive. Because I know I'm forgiving, I'm supposed to forgive, but I keep on feeling this feeling. I don't want to forgive. When I see my enemies. And apparently, she says, a pastor comes, she's in a Lutheran church, a pastor comes to her and, and by chance, you know, and they start talking and talks about forgiveness and her challenge. And the, the pastor says, um, you know those church bells up there? To make them ring, you have to pull that cord, which is what we do. And when you pull it, it rings. And you let go. But it keeps on ringing for a while, doesn't it? And that's what you're feeling. You pull the cord, you've let go. But those feelings don't just go away. They sort of go off into the distance. And it takes a little time. And that helped her to be okay with not feeling forgiving 
while she's forgiving. Does that make sense? And I think that's a huge issue I think many people have. They connect their feelings to the act of forgiving. And I think that's, that's important. You should think about, you know, if you're really troubled, you should, just like she did, pray. But that's not exactly the same thing as forgiving. Do you have a challenge forgiving? Do you have somebody in particular you need to forgive? Or maybe you're like me, I, I, th- I think I'm fairly forgiving. I, don't, I can't think of like this enemy, um, not to say it's never happened or won't happen, but I can't think of like this person, you know what I mean? But I do feel like in this tension of today, the certain animosity I, I certainly feel when just when people have dumb ideas or, you know what I'm saying? You just have this general non-forgiving, non-gracious behavior, which I say probably all, maybe you got that. Jesus says, forgive. Peter thought that he was a great forgiver when he says, you know, Jesus, I'm going to forgive seven times. Like he's thinking like, that's a lot. Jesus says seven times, 70. In other words, infinitely. Don't stop forgiving. You should never stop forgiving somebody. Do you have a challenge forgiving? Great story that we read earlier in Genesis about forgiving. Probably the best story next to Jesus about Joseph. The Joseph story takes up, I think it's the last probably 10 chapters or so of Genesis, a little less than that. And everybody know the Joseph story? People must know the Joseph story. Joseph of the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 sons of Israel. These are the patriarchs of the Jewish, of the children of Israel, the people of God. So if anybody should get it, they should. Just like the disciples, right? 12 disciples. So here they are, these 12 sons of Israel, the chosen people. And one of them, Joseph, tells the other 11 as they're out hanging out, well, a couple things. He comes out with his brand new robe, I guess you can call it, right? It says, Dad gave it to me because basically I'm his favorite. That's pretty, basically what Joseph did. I'm just building the case for his brother brothers for throwing him in the pit, okay? And then also then Joseph says something like, uh, you know, he had these dreams. He has two different dreams. And the dreams basically are, I am going to end up being the, the big player here and you guys are going to serve me. So let's be honest. At this point, who would want to throw your brother who talks like this into the pit? Let's just, I want you to give you a little sympathy for his brothers. So they're getting a little annoyed by Joseph. Mr. G- favorite of dads, who let them know it very naively. <laughs> and they, com- they basically give up the idea that, uh, well, first of all, it was let's kill him. But the oldest, full of mercy, decided, well, let's throw him in a pit, and then we'll kill him later. And his goal was saving Joseph, but we're still going to throw him in a pit. So they throw him in a pit, and as you know, uh, Egyptian slave traders, slave traders came by and found him and say, okay, this is, this is good. Uh, we can make some money out this kid. They took him. He's gone. Reuben comes back. Joseph's gone. He's freaking out. Now dad's really going to be mad. We killed our brother. So Joseph is sold into slavery. He's removed from his family. 
how lonely would this be? He's the, he's the young, he's almost, you know, he's like the youngest of them, right? He's a little, he's he's the little one. He's got to work and serve. But somehow the same Joseph, because God is with him, takes this awful thing and makes it into a blessing, right? So Joseph ends up in Egypt, ends up basically telling Pharaoh the dreams and interpreting dreams and saying, watch out. Because you're going to have seven years of great harvest, followed by seven years of famine. And this was taken as a wonderful warning to Pharaoh to get ready to fill up silos of grain. So they would persevere throughout the famine, right? And of course, Joseph is elevated to second in charge in Israel next to Pharaoh. What an amazing story. Of God taking the worst possible thing you could do to someone and making it into a blessing. Because, this is the funny thing, his brothers and his dad, not living in Egypt, but not, not too far, were under that same famine. And so they come to Egypt, hearing that there's food there. And they run into who? Joseph. Joseph, uh, at first, kind of plays some head games with him, by the way, which he would too. <laughs> but finally reveals himself to them. They didn't recognize him. He was probably dressed up as a feral uh, um, hero, feral royalty. And it blows their mind. Wow. The worst thing you could do was you killed your brother, or at least you threw him in this pit. It ended up being the best thing they could do for their future. Think about it. By throwing him in the pit, he ends up being a slave, going to Egypt, and then interpreting the stream, and then saving his own family that threw him in the pit in the first place. So some time passes. And this is where we come to our lesson here in chapter 50 of Genesis. Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead. So Israel, Jacob, dies. And they think one thing. Well, now he's going to get back at us. Because there's no way he can let this go. You couldn't do a worse thing to anybody, let alone your brother than to basically leave him for dead, kill him. He lost, he lost years of knowing his dad, his family. And so when dad dies, they assume the only way Joseph is being nice to us is because dad's still around and we're all in the family. Dad's gone. And now it's all coming down, right? And that's what you do. <laughs> So this is what they say. They say, it may be that Joseph's going to hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. Oh, you think so? That's not a crazy thing to think. So they sent a message to Joseph saying this. They came up with a a two-part plan, actually. Maybe three-part plan. But this is the first one. Hey, you don't know this. You weren't there. I think you were busy doing feral stuff. But dad said before he died that Joseph you should forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you so that's what he said Joseph isn't that funny I mean it makes sense like they're not going to beg him they're not going to talk about it but man if we can get dad have authority still we can have some forgiveness from, from Joseph right 
And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. In other words, we have no business asking for forgiveness. We get that. You should not love us or care about us in any way. We get that. But man, for the sake of your dad, for the sake of your God, you should forgive us. But look what they do. They, they don't just do that. Actually, look at this. So Joseph hears this, and what does he do? He weeps when they spoke to him this. I don't know if he's weeping. The first time he wept was when he first recognized his brothers coming back and asking for grain. He cried. He didn't do it in front of them. He actually, because they didn't know it was him the first time they met, he went to his other room. He just cried, which you can understand. He hadn't seen his brothers for that long. And quite frankly, the pain of knowing that your own brothers tried to kill you, it's got to cause some deep psychological problems. And now he hears his brothers trying to weasel out of forgiveness. And is he crying because he's just recalling all the terrible things they did to him? Is he crying because, my God, they don't trust my love for them. They think they need to finagle this to get me to forgive them. Look how broke this all is. Is he crying because they're saying they're sorry? It's emotional, though. And then as he's crying, his brother's plan B come in and they fall down in front of him. Listen, we are your servants. (laughs) Forget about forgiveness. We're not going to be family. Obviously, kind of screw that up. But man, maybe we can work in this kingdom and be fed and have that kind of relationship of boss and workers. Which is what people always want with God. We don't want God. When God gives us family, we want to be his worker. Notice this. In sermons and churches, how they talk. Because we want to earn our keep. These guys want to earn their keep. There's no way forgiveness is for free. There's no way you're going to welcome us back in the family from what we did. The best we can hope for is work for you. Maybe this is how you do forgiveness or asking forgiveness or giving it. Maybe when you think of God forgiving you, you, I bet you've done this. I certainly have. Lord, if you'll just forget what I just did, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to do this or this and this. We don't write this on paper, but I think our default is thinking like that, isn't it? Transactional forgiveness. If you forgive me, I will do this. And sometimes we actually kind of get it really close to repentance. If you forgive me, then I will stop doing this. I really want to stop. We connect something we're going to do. We're going to be your servant if you will let this go. And that's not biblical forgiveness, and that's not the grace of Jesus Christ. That's a working relationship. That's transactional love. Or maybe you, even worse sin, according to Jesus, is this is how you forgive. I will let this go if you don't do it again. I will forgive you if you do this or this. Or I'm not going to really, I'm going to wait probationary period until I really let this go. Otherwise, I'm watching you. And I'm not going to be kind to you, etc. Is this how you forgive? 
we need some forgiveness in this country? Just a little bit of grace? Don't you need that in your own life? Joseph says to them, I love these words. He never says, I forgive you once. He does forgiveness. He doesn't say, I forgive you, right? Let me make sure I'm right here. He doesn't say, I forgive you once. He does forgiveness. I want you to notice this. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Who cares how you, how, I do care how you feel. That's something else that you need to deal with. Absolutely. And pray about. Like Corey Tembu. But forgiveness is a doing. It's an action. And if it's not a doing and an action, then it ain't forgiveness. It's just a feeling that you happen to have. Like love. So Joseph says, don't be afraid. That's forgiveness like absolutely rubber hits the road. Don't be afraid. I'm forgiving you. I don't need to say the words. I can tell you, you don't need to be afraid of what I could do to you. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to refrain from what you deserve and not do it. Do not be afraid of all these fears they might have. You know, the very least of them would be, you're not going to feed us anymore during this famine. But the worst of it would be, you're going to have us killed. And he says, don't be afraid. That's what forgiveness looks like. With the person you need to forgive. They should not be afraid of you. You want them to be afraid of you. You want to hold a little something on them. Right? Just a little. In fact, you kind of feel good. Because in fact, we like being a victim. And by loving to be a victim, that usually means we like to have something over someone. And it's actually an incredibly selfish thing to like to be. I'm not saying being a victim. We are are victims and some are worse victims than others. Absolutely. And you should fight like you know what to help someone else who's a victim of something. Absolutely. But there's something weird in us that actually likes to be forgiven, to be a victim because then we have power. See? And we can not forgive. We can just kind of hold that thing over someone. Isn't that freaking perverted? But that's humanity. Joseph says, do not be afraid. I'm not going to hold this over your head. And it's not just words or feelings. But he says, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph, you see, sees a bigger picture than what was done to him. He sees how God did, how this awful thing happened. The worst possible thing that could happen to you turned out to be the best possible thing that could happen to him, Joseph, and his brothers. It literally saved his family if they had not thrown him in the pit. That doesn't make it right either, by the way. Like Paul says, should we just keep on sinning? No. (laughs) But somehow God is bigger than your own sins. It's crazy. The worst possible thing you could do something turns out to be the best possible thing to happen to you, the perpetrator. Does that sound familiar to you? So do not fear, he says, 
But now he's not speaking a negative. Do not fear, as in, I will refrain from doing something. But now this is the aspect of forgiveness. The other aspect that goes with forgiveness. Forgiveness is forgiving. It's not for you, the forgiver. That's something else. Forgiving is for the person you are forgiving, or it's not forgiving. And he says, do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. I'm going to actively give to you and take care of you, you who hurt me. You don't believe I forgive you? I'm not only not going to speak poorly about you with my friends, tag you on Facebook or make fun of you or whatever that might be or avoid you or make sure you know I'm still mad at you, but I am going to take care of you, nourish you. It's like a wedding vow. I'll provide for you and your family. Do not fear. And then he goes on and comforts them. The victim is empowered to give grace and mercy. That's the only power, the only wokeness you get when you're a victim. And that's the most beautiful, most powerful thing you could possibly have. And he does it. He comforts them and speaks kindly to them. You notice when Moses is doing this, this is so so incredibly beautiful. And the word forgiveness is not used once. That's what we are called to do. When we forgive specifically people and living as forgiving people, the way we just generally treat one another is positive and giving. Now, how could Joseph do this? How can you do this? Joseph talks about it in a little bit. He basically says, this ended up being the best thing possible, right? That empowers him to forgive. God has provided for me in every way. He's taking care of me. Who am I to withhold forgiveness from you? My goodness. God has just made amazing things out of this. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you got something better than what Joseph had. We have done the worst possible thing you could do to our brother, Jesus. We put him on a cross. And yet somehow that became the greatest thing to ever happen to you personally. Just like Joseph That that cross, that death of Jesus, all of our hate and all of our anger, all of our sins placed upon him, the violence of the universe on him, and yet it became the greatest things to ever happen to those that put him on the cross. Because that cross is God dying, Jesus dying for those Pharisees and chief priests and robbers on both sides and you and me. One way to really empower you to forgive is to realize you ain't all that. You might be a victim over here, but you are a perpetrator over here, and everybody's a perpetrator, and everybody's an oppressor, and everybody's a sinner. And if you don't think so, you are incredibly not self-aware. And your own little fiefdoms, we push, we're enemies, we hurt. But we are forgiven completely by Jesus. You want to be empowered to forgive, you first need to understand, stop being so self-righteous. 
look in the mirror and then look to the cross and see how God doesn't hold anything against you anymore. It's been canceled all your debts. Just like in Jesus' parable. Gone and removed. Everything. You want to be empowered to forgive? You look and see how much you've been forgiven. How much has been given you by total grace. And God doesn't just in his heart feel good about it. He doesn't just refrain from punishing you. But he's purposely, intently taking care of you right now. And feeding you and taking and, and providing for you, isn't he? No questions asked. And he what, he, what does Joseph do? He provides for us. He comforts us every Sunday. That's why you go to church, to be comforted by the one that we hurt. The victim on the cross. The only one that actually can say he's a victim. And he speaks kindly to us, doesn't he? You need power to forgive, and we do, and God bless you. And may the Lord forgive your lack of forgiving. Or you're, full, you're not fully into it. I know that. It's hard. You are forgiven for your lack of really being the best forgiver you can be. But may God loosen you up. Get outside of yourself. Draw from the crazy grace we have in Jesus. Let it flow. And those people that you need to say, I love you, you're forgiven. I'm not going to speak poorly about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. We need some prayers. Please rise. Heavenly Father, we stand before you as people who definitely have been hurt.